Welcome back to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in entertainment and media. My name is Abby Rose Morris, and today I am chatting with Hannah Ray Leach, who is a podcaster herself. She's got a fantastic podcast with her sister, Audrey, called Sleepover Cinema, which I personally listen to religiously. It's a fantastic podcast to check out. And Hannah is an artist in many disciplines, including visual art. She's a musician, a filmmaker, an arts educator, a visual artist, and an audio editor as well. So we're going to be talking about all of those things today. But first, I want to tell you guys about the latest tragic fat suit in the epic saga of tragic fat suits that is the American cinema. You know what, maybe just cinema in general. And that would be, I bet you guys already guessed it, Jared Leto in House of Gucci, which I saw last night. So (laughs) I don't even have the emotional bandwidth to be angry about this fat suit. The the weird thing is, it wasn't, like, that egregious. Like, he didn't look that fat. I, I guess he was wearing some prosthetics, like, especially a prosthetic double chin. But other than that, like, he didn't actually, like, look fat. Um, There was a point in the movie where I think he was supposed to have gained weight, but I couldn't quite tell. He made one comment about uh, how he was, like, eating gelato, but... Other than that, I almost want to say the movie was more offensive to Italians than it was to fat people because, (laughs) oh my God, it was so bad, guys. In my opinion, Jared Leto's performance was like, it was like camp, but further, worse. (laughs) It was so bad. Um, It was just like incredibly hammy, but like in the way that like there's like a, a kid in your middle school play who's playing like Tevya or something and he just goes like so like balls to the wall chewing the scenery and everyone's like oh my gosh he's so good because he's doing things but like he's just doing things he's not actually acting he's just like hamming it up way too hard that was Jared Leto in this movie and you know for someone who is is not a Jared Leto fan I was still disappointed (laughs) like I I just I just can't with this bad suit, you guys. I can't stop laughing making this. Like, you have to go see the movie, but also, like, you don't need to see the movie. But also, like, it was just so funny how bad it was. And, like, the reason we were laughing was because it was bad. Honestly, the fat suit was, like, so unnecessary. Like, one, just cast a fat actor. But two, like, other than the one gelato line, like, was it there just to, like, denote him as a funny character or make him look more like the actor playing his dad? Like, I don't know why that was necessary. It's probably only necessary because it's Jared Leto. And so it's like, oh, he has to transform for his performance. And for once, he didn't actually change his body. I don't even know. I don't even know. It was just an incredibly silly time. I'm not going to go on for too long about it because it's not worth my time or your time. But I was like so curious about this and like ready for like this horribly egregious fat phobic character. And it wasn't even particularly fat phobic, although like he did fall into this like sort of clowny fat stereotype, right? Like he was definitely clowning around, falling down and like being egregiously Italian, but like in this very caricature-y way. That just, like, didn't really fit with the rest of the movie. And I don't know. I was expecting worse fat representation. I was bracing myself in that theater. But it was, like, weirdly barely there. And it feels like all the press around it 
was about his like transformation or whatever. And I also want to say like, it's funny how Sarah Paulson got a shit ton of backlash for wearing a fat suit when she was playing a character that was like a dimensional human and she apologized and said she learned from her mistake. And Jared Leto, I don't think he's spoken at all about it. And he's not getting roasted in the press nearly as much as Sarah Paulson. And like, yo, I was quoted in an article about Sarah Paulson. Like, I was there for that. I was a part of that. Um, but, you know, I didn't roast her because she, like, learned from it and and responded. And he did not respond at all. And I have seen things on social media, not nearly as much either, by the way, about this fat suit. But like, white men can do anything and face no consequences. Okay, I'm I'm in a silly, goofy mood today. I hope you are too. We're going to get into some fun stuff in this episode and some not so fun stuff. So without further ado, my interview with Hannah Ray Leach. Places, actors, schmackters, and show folk. Dreading the Boards is a new podcast from fellow fat actresses Jen Ponton and Lillian Bussell. From AMC's Dietland to international burlesque sensation, these seasoned pros interview artists from Broadway, the silver screen, and beyond about their biggest actors' nightmares. For every artistic vision gone wrong, every audition that made your 32 bars shrivel up into 16, every post-apocalyptic production of Oklahoma, Jen and Lillian want to hear every last mortifying moment of the things we whisper to each other in the green room. Subscribe now and turn on a ghost light for legendary stories from Broadway alums like Wicked's Kathy Deitch, The Prom's Caitlin Kinnanen, and many, many more. Find Dreading the Boards wherever you find your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Dreading the Boards. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be a good time. For those of you who did not hear, I was recently a guest on Hannah's podcast, Sleepover Cinema, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic podcast, especially you. if you're right around my age of 25 and you grew up with all the young girl movies like yes. Sleepover and Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and all mm-hmm. those. Um, We'll definitely get more into it as we go along as well. So um, first things first, will you tell us like how you got started in the arts? Yes. Okay. So I guess as long as I have been doing things, I've been doing some sort of um, artistic activity. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that my mom is an artist. She is a illustrator and printmaker and um, a very like creatively encouraging person. So with me and my sister both, we both host Sleepover together. Um, we've always been doing lots of artistic things because of her. Um, so it started off like drawing um, writing a little bit and then it added music in and then has just evolved and evolved since then to the point where I pretty much do it all except acting. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what was like your path as you were growing up? Like, did you mm-hmm. study any of these things in school? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Okay. 
Hmm. Okay. Well, I feel like this could tie in interestingly to the subject matter of this podcast overall. So my whole life. So I majored in playwriting at NYU. I majored in dramatic writing. Um, mm-hmm. And the sort of person who pursues that program is traditionally the type of person who like loves SNL and like thinks they're really funny and like wants to be like a comedy writer for a TV show or something like that. Interesting. Yes. Um, that's not exclusively true, but at least um, a, a lot of people fall into that category. And then there's uh-huh. like some playwriting people and some big like film people. Um, but I ended up pursuing playwriting. But throughout high school, I really loved music more than I liked writing. Um, mm-hmm. But I always had sort of issues like getting the validation I needed as a singer because so much of it was tied up in theatrical things and so much Uh, of that was tied up in what do I look like mm, say more Uh uh-huh so I feel (laughs) like so basically what happened to me when I was a teenager was I was like always like a prolific for a teenager but like prolific songwriter and um singer and performer and would like kind of make my own opportunities but then once I tried to take the more like um legit route I guess at my school which was like a very like fancy public school in Ohio basically um I just noticed that um I didn't think that my peers were better than me but they were thinner than me and would get things that I felt they may not have deserved more than me. So ended up losing a bunch of weight my junior and senior year of high school. And whether a coincidence or not, basically got everything I had wanted. Oh, man. As that happened. So that was um, a really like psychologically formative experience, unfortunately. And I feel like I'm still unpacking that to this day. Um, But basically the reason why this ties into what I studied is that I was um, pursuing music stuff and pursuing writing stuff and um, writing always came easier. And I ended up getting into dramatic writing at Tisch at NYU and was like, you know what? I can't get into these music programs I want. And I think that those were actually based off of ability. Like, obviously that was just ability. Um, So I ended up uh, studying writing and it has served me really well, honestly. But yeah, performing has always been kind of loaded for me because Mm -hmm. of my earlier experiences with it. Totally understandable. Yeah. So within that, like being a singer era of your life, Mm -hmm. where did you feel like you were typed? before you lost weight oh my god okay so I'm back to where I was let me just say mm-hmm. so um I'm like a size 14 15 or not 15 <laughs> I'm just saying again. junior I'm sizing. A size 14 now <laughs> um okay so where was I typed before okay so it was very much well here the thing that was unfortunate about it all is that I'm not good at acting so they would want to put me in like <laughs> character roles because I could sing them very well but like I can't like I can't like I don't know why I can't do it I literally don't (laughs) understand how actors do it like I admire it I cannot do it but um yeah like you know you're um oh this is a great this is a great anecdote it's like you're not I was not good enough to be like the witch pre-transformation so I was granny in Into the Woods it was like that sort of vibe 
So I also, I can tell you with absolute certainty that had I ever been in the into the woods, I would have also been Granny or Jack's yes. mom. Yes. If I was lucky. Yes. Oh my God, exactly. Dude, that was my whole thing is I was like, you know what? The least they could have given me was a stepsister. I could have had a corset, damn it. I didn't even get that. Like, Yeah. It always does sting when you are like 17 and they're like, you'd be so good as the grandma. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, and I should also mention that that um, in high school, I was casted as Granny in three different shows three times in a row. Oh, my God. I played the same girl's mom in two subsequent shows and we were different races. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They were just like mom only. That is the only path. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think... All this stuff that happened when I was younger, it's it feels sort of like um, it's like almost embarrassing to talk about it now because it's like, oh, like get over it. But I spend so much time with teenagers now that I like it's in my mind all the time to a certain extent because I'm just like, I remember what it was like to be like this. (laughs) Absolutely. And it is so formative. And like our brains Mm -hmm. are, especially when you're younger, like we don't know how to process these things and like keep them Mm-mm. separate from our sense of identity and like yes. i still am also like dealing with all the psychological damage done to me by like school theater when i was so young and like when you're that age it feels like such a big deal and then like mm-hmm. that sort of gets stored in your body and like your psyche so then yes. even when you look back at it and you're like well that was like my freaking middle school play <laughs> your body is still like that was the worst time of your entire life and you wanted to die you know oh absolutely absolutely yeah. and it's also hard because it's like if you're even in a drama club scenario in the first place you're already more emotionally impressionable than your peers like you're already in that group so it's like it's like any other childhood trauma honestly except it's just in this under the guise of like that showbiz kid and you're supposed to suck it up but you're like a suburban 15 year old like what are you gonna do right (laughs) it's funny literally my last therapy session my therapist was like maybe you're just more sensitive than other people like maybe you're like just highly sensitive and that's okay and I was like does that mean I'm meant to be an artist and she was like, maybe. And I was like, amazing. I can work with that. <laughs> Same. That's how I feel, too. That is absolutely how I feel. If I had only thought of it that way at that time, instead of being like, my skin's not thick enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, yeah, literally yeah. in high school, I have journals that say this. I was like, I need to audition for more things where I know I'm going to get rejected so that I can build up my thick skin. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. That is relatable. Same, yeah. Honestly. Yeah, it becomes masochism at a point. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also like it but that's also so real like with anything in the entertainment industry is like totally, yeah. just throw every single thing at the wall and see what sticks and you'll only be better for it. It's so funny cuz I was basically taught that like the most important thing that I could have in order to be in the industry or like to succeed or to act or whatever was not sensitivity or vulnerability Mm -hmm. was not even talent it was grit it was the ability Mm -hmm. to withstand the most and only now do i look back and say okay they just wanted me to be the best at being abused like they wanted me to be the quietest and to shut up and to do what i'm told and like to go Mm -hmm. above and beyond without being asked and to be a half hour Mm -hmm. early to everything and like you know what i mean yes totally and be super cool with making no money and like Uh. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like with actors, it's especially brutal. Again, like most, Mm -hmm. I'm lucky in that a lot of the stuff that I have been either doing professionally or like semi-professionally creatively over the past few years Mm -hmm. for better or for worse I have been giving I have been given a lot of control so I end up being in the decision making spots more than being uh having other people's decisions or creative impulses like wrought upon me which I feel very lucky for at this point I I do think that also like it does happen in other areas of the industry. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the like IATSE situation that's mm-hmm. been going on, like that it's definitely going on there, but it's like in even more undercover in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people are just really fed up. <laughs> yeah. Like the energy across the board feels so deeply fed up with anyone who isn't like a cis white man like straight white man or even a a rich cis white man like oh yeah 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 any Mm -hmm. any worker right now like yep and i am so excited about this like sort of new movement of like people not just taking the crumbs and people valuing their own time and labor and like Mm -hmm. sort of asserting their like right to have a life Um, which is not just happening in the arts and i'm glad it is also happening in the arts i think that maybe the arts could go a little harder if i'm being honest oh i totally agree (laughs) definitely yeah um so speaking of like the film industry and all that tell me Mm -hmm. about two pink pictures Okay. Yes, I would love to. So Two Pink Pictures is a film production company that was founded by me and my sister. My sister went to NYU for film and she graduated in 2019. Um, So she's two years younger than me. And essentially, we wanted to work on projects together regardless. Um, But we were like, we might as well come up with a name. Like, let's like make it something real. And so fun fact, Two Pink Pictures is a very obscure Sound of Music reference. What? Yes. So when, have you seen the movie? You, I'm sure you've oh. seen it many times. Oh, have I seen the <laughs> Uh, we could I talk about it for a whole I episode. I, it yeah, was like, okay. That movie was um like of equal importance to me and Audrey. Like yeah. it was like in our rotation of movies we would watch when we were growing up. But the point is the part it's really obscure. It's this scene when they're on like the back patio and they're drinking the pick the pink lemonade and he's like, It's too pink. You know what I'm talking about? Uncle Oh Max. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so so funny. Yeah, so that's the deep cut reference. But basically, it's like two, two of us pink. If it's too pink, like oh, it's so feminine, like it's too much. Like yeah. you know, it's a good name. I'm proud of our name. Um, so we've done a couple short narrative things together. Um, but primarily our biggest thing is um we made a documentary about Ohio show choir, <laughs> and so yeah, yes, and so we followed four different schools. Um, my sister, really, it's her baby. Like we came up with the idea together and did all of like the pre-production stuff together for the most part but like Mm -hmm. in terms of actually editing it and putting in just like the thousands of hours that it took it was mostly audrey's thing um but yeah so there's four different schools all different socioeconomic and like racial groups from uh ohio basically and it's pretty good i feel like the people (laughs) that listen to this podcast would really like it um but it's called full out behind ohio show choir or excuse me 
It's called Full Out Inside Ohio Show Choir. Um, and we're seeking distribution now still, but it's premiered um, at the Chagrin Valley Documentary Film Festival. And I know that it's being submitted to a bunch of different places, um, but it's feature length. And it was really fun to make. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. Wait, Thanks. Ohio Show Choir, I have a ton more questions for you. Okay. About that. <laughs> so uh, you grew up in Ohio, right? Yes, in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, gorgeous. So mm-hmm. did you do show choir? Yes, I did. Okay. And did that impact your decision to make a documentary about it? Y- yes, absolutely. So kind of speaking to what I was saying earlier, sort of the... um the activity that I gained the most immediate success with um, Mm -hmm. was definitely show choir once I lost weight. Um, And Mm -hmm. so do you know, were you, are you familiar with the show choir world at all? I mean, I watched Glee. I was in a show choir, but it wasn't, it didn't compete. Okay. Okay. So we were in, we, Audrey and I both at different times were in Solon high school music in motion was the name of the group. Um, and it was, and it is still like extremely competitive. It's like a six figure budget type situation. What? Like it's very intense. Um, and it's sort of like if you take pageantry and like Broadway ensemble work and like smush it into one thing and then make it all high schoolers and everyone's in a high school in the middle of a cornfield and there's like people's parents everywhere. That's what it is like. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. Um, so like not to out myself as a juvenile Glee fan, but like, is it like Glee? I mean, so it's funny because <laughs> we always say it's actually not like Glee. So oh. the, the the what the primary difference sort of is that with Glee. So okay, I haven't seen all of Glee, but I've seen enough. I know the deal. And yeah. with with New Directions, it seems as though they were like learning new songs all the time. Oh well, what are you gonna do when you have well, a it's weekly like, TV show? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, okay, so one of the primary things is that with actual competitive show choir, you, at the beginning of every school year, a, a group will pick like a theme and six songs and then you do make that show as polished as humanly possible over the next like six months. Yeah. So like when I was in it, my junior year, the theme was identity which was so vague wow um and then my senior year it was nightmare themed which was cool that is cool yeah and then my sister was in it one year when it was oscars themed which was really cute like it was very glitzy um but no it's not like glee unfortunately and there was also (laughs) way more like popular people in it than there than there were in new directions yeah and actually part of why we um wanted to make the documentary was because um, so my sister is like a really good dancer. She's very, she's not like ultra skinny, but she was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. and that was not my situation. I was a really bad dancer. That was like my biggest, like my biggest L. Yeah. Um, but we both had a really hard time getting into this group, despite the fact that we like had everything going for us that we really should have. Um, mm-hmm. and just like how, like you were saying earlier, the grit that you have to develop to get through it um, was right. so massively impactful for both of us as kids that we were like, we can't make a documentary about the process of auditioning because it would be too messy. But if we could, we would have. So instead, yeah. we just made it about the process of the uh, year for four choirs. That is so cool. 
it was fun to make too it was like because we got four high schools to clear us and then we would go in like kind of a lot with like like full-blown camera equipment and just like observe rehearsals like over the months I think in the end we had over a thousand hours of just tape oh my goodness (laughs) yeah that is so crazy yeah it was crazy Audrey is so talented and patient and hardworking. like I don't know how she did it like that's her first feature and it was like a documentary that was really complicated mm-hmm. and she just like did it <laughs> and it's really good that's that's crazy yeah especially she's... at such a young age because I think she and I are the same mm-hmm. year yeah. yep and she started it when she was a senior in undergrad wow so it was her thesis project technically oh cool yeah, but wow. then it escalated, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so yeah. within the show choirs in the documentary, did you encounter mm-hmm. any like weight stigma there? So it's hard for me to not project. Let me just get that out first of all. I never heard anything explicitly. There was actually a pretty wide range of size diversity in almost all of the groups, which was really surprising because that's not how it was when I was in high school, but that was almost oh, 10 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like we um we followed my former high school and there was like one mixed girl when I was in it. And now there's like a lot of black girls in it, which is like ve- was very much not how it was before. And it's like so yeah. nice to see. Um, But for me it's always like looking at the big girl in the back row and being like how are you feeling yeah like, you know especially because a lot of the time the costumes oh oh my god so with a lot of the schools the costumes are designed by just like straight men who like don't know better and so they're like really unflattering for a lot of people um it's like they're all designed with like a really skinny girl in mind and yes. so and it's like heels that are this tall, like not dance shoes. Like it's not, it's not an accessible hobby. <laughs> wow. So, so for those of you who don't know, um, we met because I literally pitched myself to Hannah <laughs> and her podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, we should talk about some of those fat representation movies from mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, so yes. I did go on her episode about Hairspray, which you can listen yes. to now. So with that in mind, uh, what are some of the movies that like at an early age taught you something about body size? Oh, man. Okay. So I feel like I was thinking about this beforehand because I was like, for a long time, I think I distanced myself from really... Hmm, like letting myself connect with any characters that were larger or like were fat because I've always been on the line. So it's always been a little Uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always like, am I being dramatic? Like, am I being like, um, am I, do I need to be relating the way that I'm relating or am I just feeling bad about myself? And like, what does it mean if feeling bad about myself is a direct correlation to, yeah. Um, but I would say Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants for mm. obvious reasons with um Carmen because the whole thing is that she's bigger but they can all wear the same pants and I was like something about them all wearing the same pants always really got me I was like did you read the books I have not read the books actually actually I think I might have read the first one but it was a long time ago 
I reread the books annually for about 10 years and I have a lot oh of my feelings. God. Okay. Wait. So what do I not? Is there more about Carmen's size stuff in the book? A little bit more. Basically, it's very clear that it's like she just has a different shape. Like she's just curvier. She has a bigger butt. Yeah. And like that is attributed directly to her being Puerto Rican. And then right. in the like third book where they graduate high school, it is like talked about that's like oh Carmen's become like more of a babe but it is never addressed if it's because she lost weight or mm-hmm. or for any specific reason or just like she grew into her features or like whatever um yeah. or maybe people just started appreciating big butts more that literally <laughs> is probably what happened yep yep <laughs> um so then it was like oh Carmen became like this like girl all the guys wanted at some point but it's not really explicit about whether that was her body changing or not i think i interpreted it that way at the time Uh but if i if i remember correctly i don't think it's explicit and she is like sort of the unlucky and love one for like the first Mm -hmm. three books or two books or whatever um so like that it could be coded that way but she's also like dating and going on dates um but i always really Related to her partially because of that scene in the fitting room. Yeah. But also just because I'm a dramatic ass bitch who would throw a rock through a window. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. Outing myself here. But like everything when she would she would do something like so incredibly like over the top, I was like, I would do that. One hundred percent. Oh my god. Yes. (laughs) I know I love her. Um I think when I was a kid to a certain extent, so I was like a really big Disney princess person as a Ooh, child. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of fat villains. Surely yeah. that made an imprint. Um, I also watched a lot of Hayao Miyazaki movies growing up. Oh my God. I loved, I loved Totoro and Kiki. Those yes. were my big two. Yes. Okay. So they're so, they're literally incredible. Um, But there is a pretty, um, steady correlation between like fatness and bad in those movies i would but say but what about totoro though but that's a that's a that's a bunny <laughs> the cat bus has to be fat so he can fit his passengers that in. doesn't count that doesn't count <laughs> the though, cat bus is fat opinion. representation i'll die on this hill <laughs> okay you know what i'll give it to you but in terms of female characters at the very okay. least fair if if fe- biological female human characters um <laughs> if you're fat uh you're gonna be a bad person for sure yeah. but it's also the same if you're old sort of except Powell's moving castle which is like complicated yeah also i just realized there's a really big one um which is the first harry potter movie oh first <laughs> like one I, yeah so actually i watched it last night for the first time in a long time it felt like i was watching something for sleepover um but like they in the first like 30 minutes of harry potter and the sorcerer's stone there's like a shitload of fat jokes like wow. including hagrid being like like when he like busts into their hut he like oh, approaches yeah. dudley and he's like oh yeah you're a bit like bigger around the middle than i would have expected i'm like yes Oh That's my the god! First thing he says, yeah. <laughs> also, Hagrid is fat. Like, what's going on? Like, just stuff like that. <laughs> oh shameful. my god! Oh, yeah. it hurts. Oh, the, yep. the third movie with Aunt Marge was the one that really got me. Oh my she god! She blows up like yes. a balloon as her punishment yep. for being a bad person. Ooh, yep, that got right yep. in there. Yep. yep. Now that Absolutely. one also, I think, I think I had just recently gotten fat. That was yeah. one of the first ones where I was like, 
oh, this is embarrassing for me to watch this sitting next to someone else because what yeah. of what that's saying about me. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like part of why my answer is so like in the weeds right now is because for such a long time, I like really, 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 really had a moralized approach to size. Yeah. And I think that if there were jokes at the expense of a fat character or fat people or whatever, my brain wouldn't even register it as being problematic because I was like, yeah, fat people are lazy and stupid. Like, duh. <laughs> like I didn't like like there was no part of me that was right. like this is a problem. Oh, totally. I mean, when you're yeah. young that makes sense. I think yes. that when I got fat, that part of my brain switched on, which is interesting, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. didn't think it was justified or worth pointing out or okay to say until yeah. many, many years later. I would just a fat joke would happen and I would just go silent, you know, and everyone mm-hmm. else around me would be laughing or they'll make a fat joke like to you or be like hey like laugh at this funny fat joke with me i'm like oh man do you see me like me even and you know even if i'm just fatter than they are and it was a point in my life where i wasn't as big as i am now like what (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like my um developing comfort level if anything makes people nervous that's fair because they like don't know it's like the sort of thing you know like people always say like i can call me fat but you can't call me fat yeah it it feels like that sort of thing like i don't think people really know what to do with it if i like make a reference to whatever or like i have just been really loving my new lifestyle of actually buying clothes that fit me because i'm not trying to fight it anymore yeah um and talking about like a store or whatever that has like actual things that fit me and i'm like oh my god like zero x one x like this is amazing like it's like it can it can get awkward with people sometimes but you know what whatever it's a journey it's growth i don't really care if it makes people uncomfortable i think it's probably good for them to be made a little uncomfortable sometimes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what changed in your like opinions or your philosophy towards body size like where did where, where did that shift happen for you Okay, I can remember it so clearly. And I don't know why this is how it happened. But so um, when I, so I had like three, quote, two, two and a half, three, quote unquote, successful diets in high school. And um, they were all Weight Watchers. So um, that was my situation. And I remember it was right when, um and and it's still a situation where like to this day like what how I would do it and this this might be like slight trigger warning for like disordered eating stuff here but like it was very much like okay I'm gonna have the absolute minimum until dinner and then I'm gonna have whatever I want on Friday and then go back to the absolute minimum like that was sort of my thing and to this day it's still like whenever it's like a Sunday evening going into a Monday I'm like I could just start doing it tomorrow like that we could just start over and like I could Mm. it could start all over and it's been like eight years and that's still a thing in my brain so yeah basically when COVID first started I was on a walk with my boyfriend Josh and I was feeling really shitty about myself and then something so I don't know where this came from, but something just bubbled up from within me. And I just like fully realized and like embraced that like Weight Watchers and similar businesses are not philanthropic organizations. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> they are not morally right. 
Yeah. And they're literally, con- their existence is contingent upon your quote unquote failure to comply. Yeah. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Because there's a little bit of context, which is that my dad and I have more of a similar build and my mom and my sister are more naturally thin. And I've seen both my parents like go on and off Weight Watchers like my whole conscious life, basically. And so it's always been very much like if you follow Weight Watchers, it'll work. Like if you do your homework before it's due, you won't get in trouble. Like if you drink water, you won't pass out playing sports or something. Like it was always very much assumed to be this truth. And I, and I just was like, wait, so someone's been making money every time I have tried this and failed. It's almost like they want to be making money from their business (laughs) as if, that's what it's for so it was kind of like a bigger like a wider realization in general about like how so much of uh, like society we live in a society but like society Mm -hmm. like is so driven and like fucked up by capitalism in general and i was like okay i gotta i gotta start unpacking more of this and it's basically been a journey since then but that's not to say like leading up to it like i would always like how we talked about on on the hairspray episode like lindy west roxanne gay like all Mm -hmm. that sort of reading and stuff i'd always been interested in and read but i never i was always like let me just dabble in this like i like i'm just interested but like there was more to it than that clearly right (laughs) so i also think a big part of um what has kind of shifted my perception of things too is that um so i am bisexual and i've dated men and women um but i've only ever been in substantial relationships with men okay and i think that a lot of my like earliest identity formation was really centered around like hyper feminine things and in like the traditional sense and so So much of that is about being small or smaller than your partner, about, um, you know, just like this predetermined set of criteria you're supposed to check. So I've always been larger than any of my boyfriends have been. And Mm. I used to try to like pretend not to see it or like I would really want to date only really tall guys because I was like if he's that much taller than me no one will notice it is super that's super common you know super common yeah yeah I mean it is hard and I think especially with the relationship I'm in now we've been together for over three years um and he's very much he's not like a man's man if you will yeah um he's kind of more of like a nymph like that's his vibe he's like a nymph like person i love that for you (laughs) it is good it's honestly very good Um, it's completely my type i (laughs) legolas lord of the rings that was the beginning oh yeah oh absolutely yes okay so so i think that him being so comfortable with who he is like kind of forced me to really reckon with why like the um the contrast between us was so troubling for so long um and now i'm just like we are kermit and miss piggy that's just what i love that (laughs) you're wearing pink right now exactly like and i'm actually like that (laughs) i know and 
this this is a good um segue into my represent my positive representation yes. moment. <laughs> okay, so first of all, so there are so many. I don't know why it took me so long to see this, but there are so many like fierce fat or like stand in for fat like characters yeah, out there in the but world. But we don't think of them as fat because we think fat yeah. is bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Miss Piggy is a huge one. Yeah. Okay. Like Miss Piggy. Yes. First of all. Um. Second of all. So okay. I've been a Drag Race stan since mm. like 2012 like i've watched for a really long time um and just like okay i know this might be controversial but i like fucking love eureka do you watch drag race at all no i don't okay so i'll I'll keep it really brief but basically there's this one queen who's like gigantic like really like like fat but just really tall like a really large being um and i found them so annoying and a lot of people find them annoying um but um they've grown on me so much like all of the queens of size i'm just like yes um and then my biggest one the one that made me turn the corner the most Mm -hmm. um this is another thing that i'm not sure if you'll be familiar with have you ever played legend of zelda breath of the wild before no i haven't okay so i'll just I'm going to paint up this picture for you because I think you will really enjoy it. So to those who have played this game that are listening, you'll know what I'm talking about probably. Um, But I'm just going to describe it. So basically this game, it's like a really massive open world game. You're this cute little elf guy. You go on this big adventure, but a lot of it is like self-determined and it's like really beautiful. And one of the things in the game is that you can find in the woods like tucked away in mysterious places you encounter these big flowers and they're closed up they're huge they're like the size of a house and you like give them some money and then it like opens up and a giant fat fairy woman explodes out of it whoa (laughs) and there's four of them and they're hidden all over and you go on this like big quest to find them and they are so pretty and they're so fucking cool that I was like, these are it for me. Like, this is this is the thing for me. So um, you should look up what they what they look like because they're so cool. And the thing is also in the game, though, is that they are this is the part that sucks. But this is what ties into this whole thing is that they are portrayed as being really thirsty like they like want like like link comes up to them like the guy comes up to them and like Mm -hmm. basically the point of the fairies is they can like make your equipment better but their whole characterization is that they're like um you know like the stereotype of like the overly sexual fat lady Mm, okay like like they're like that um but I love them so much that I'm like, I know they're being done dirty by this like fat phobic approach, but at the same time, they're so amazing. And I'm literally going to send you a video after this because they're so good. Totally. We'll share it on the week of this episode so people can yes. understand what, what it's, what yes. it is. I want to like backtrack a little bit and just ask you a little bit more about like, how has like your body image and views on on size mm. like how has that intersection with bisexuality for you yeah yeah okay so so i've known that i'm bi to a certain extent like to to varying levels like probably since i was like in ninth grade or so but it's kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of like how relevant it is to my current existence so i think that um for me it's like understanding that 
to be like a queer person is to be outside of so many pre-existing parameters in the first place that it's like people are gonna love you and want you for who you are if they're worth being around and and also like being around more um queer people of varying size and being like everyone is very um I'm not I'm not dismissing this person because of their size like I think that they're hot or like I think that they're interesting and like the work they do is cool like it's just about being around people that make you feel good and understanding that like so much of the stuff that makes you feel bad again is tied back into like tradition and capitalism right and like it all does so go back to gender roles that like Mm -hmm. by being queer at all you are inherently like breaking a little bit yes yeah totally and I also so I actually I like tried to write notes before we did this because I was like there's so much stuff that's come up for me like I think so as I was saying earlier like I was really into like Disney princesses and stuff like that when I was a kid but I was also like a huge and I still am a fan but I was like a huge Lana Del Rey fan ah yeah in like high school early college and all of that is about relationships with men and like traditional femininity which sounds so evil now but like it's literally true and I just think that I viewed myself in a really particular way because I thought that that was like the best like that sort of woman who doesn't even exist it's literally just a construct was like what I should aspire to be like and clearly I was never gonna be like that so you should be Lana literally yeah like (laughs) wow (laughs) I have I have this whole here's the thing I'm like such a sponge person like it's kind of my best and worst trait is that I'm like Mm. super influenced by stuff um I feel that yeah I have this so Audrey and I do sleepover cinema um but I have another podcast that's like kind of like off right now um but it's called wholehearted and I basically do like personal essays but I do them in like audio format and I have one specifically about my um my the way that I lost my virginity as it relates to Lana Del Rey (laughs) I love that I'll send that to you too because it was it was very much looking back at it it's very much like a I'm so insecure about my body and myself that I want to lose my virginity with someone who I don't give a shit about. So they won't like judge me or like think that I'm like a bad person or like bad at sex or whatever. And so um, I pulled this whole stunt. I'll send you the thing. He was a lot older than me, but not Mm. problematically older. I was 19. It was a mess. I'll just send you the thing. And yeah, we can link it maybe. For sure. For sure. We'll put it in the description. (laughs) Yes. Yep, so everybody can hear exactly how you lost your virginity. <laughs> it's it's a good story though, I have to say. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's so interesting. Lana really had yeah. like undue cultural influence at that time. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. The chokehold. Those, those, those that are I was my Tumblr in. days. Yep. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. Good times. Yeah. Um, good it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> they were formative. We can say that. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, that is super interesting though. I think that like, it's funny because we blame, where do these gender roles come from? I think people go right to like Barbie, Disney, the obvious Mm -hmm. places, but some Mm -hmm. of the really insidious stuff is people like Lana Del Rey who like 
I'm not really going to personally implicate her in this, right. of course. Right, but right, like, right. But, like, things like that that do even unintentionally, like, implicitly teach you this is the right way to be a person. So, yeah. yeah. And it's even, like, the fact that in all the, like, idealized things, there's never fat people. Like, there's never yeah. fat people in, like, any, like, aesthetic stuff. There's never yeah. fat people in, like the worlds of like very idealized aspirational kind of content and i'm not just talking about instagram influencers i mean also like aesthetic like lana del rey phoebe bridgers that kind of thing um like yeah, in, in yeah. that like alt girl mm-hmm. world there there's mm-hmm. no fat representation there you no. know and no, that was definitely 2014 that was the right way to be a girl for sure yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely mm-hmm. no that's that's so true and I think that so okay so I teach at a music school and I teach people ages 8 through 18 and there's lots of kids of different sizes and Mm -hmm. I um one of the ways that I try because there's obviously we all have days where we look at ourselves and we're like holy fuck I want to not look at this or I want to be in a hole in the ground or something um and I always try to give myself the perspective of like especially because it like I do gigs with my band and like it's a very public facing thing and it's like even if I think (laughs) that I look like hell which I don't but sometimes I will I'm like think about like a 14 year old or like a 12 year old who would see this picture and be like oh I look like that and she's doing something cool I should do that too it's like when I put it that way I'm like okay it's really it's really fine if not a good thing yeah to to be the way i am beyond just you know self-acceptance in the way that everyone should have it right yeah it's i was such a big like paramore fan and yeah all that growing up and like obviously she's incredibly talented but like everyone who i've ever really liked was like like especially when i was younger was like an extremely skinny woman but that's how yeah. it is that's just how right. it is with pop that's music. what yeah. you're taught to look up to so like of course it's mm-hmm. gonna be what you look up to right yes like yes and and oh god the, the things i told myself i had to be thin to do like insane. oh yeah yep because just everybody was that i looked up to or viewed as a legitimate person because that's how mm-hmm. that's just what got into my head i too am a sponge i mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why it's I, hard sponge yeah. life is exhausting i have sponge to life is exhausting <laughs> Hashtag sponge life. <laughs> sponge life. Oh. Yeah. I think we found it's, our episode title. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's hard. But it's it's why media literacy is important. But at the same time, it's like, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna let Lana Del Rey run my life, I'm gonna let her run my life. Like it doesn't yeah. matter if I know it's wrong. I'm still gonna yeah. do it. Yeah. So speaking of teaching, I'd love to hear more about that and how can educators play a hand in like changing things regarding body image body size and fat phobia Hmm. okay so a little bit more about my job just to get that established so i work Mm -hmm. at so there's a bunch of school of rocks nationwide but i work at one in cleveland ohio um and i am a vocal director there and so a couple times a week um i go in and me and actually my boyfriend josh work there together um and we direct shows with kids 
ages eight through 18. There's like 15 of them at a time. And it's like different themes. Like right now we're doing like a Laurel Canyon music of the seventies show. And then I'm directing the entirety of the black parade by my chemical romance, which has been really fun too. That's crazy. It's so fun. Um, So I think with educated, like educating and body image stuff. So in in my specific scenario, there's a couple things. I think, first of all, I had a really influential voice teacher in high school who was a queer non-binary person who isn't a queer non-binary person, like probably the same size as me. Um, and she was just like a drag queen in the middle of suburbia like that was that was their vibe the entire time I've known them and they just made such a big impact on what I thought like a functional adult could look like like a successful creative adult um and I'm still friends with them to this day and so I think that for me I try to be the most authentic version of myself as I possibly can and let them know all the different things that I'm doing. Like I have students that listen to sleepover cinema. I have students who like they come to our shows, like my band shows. um, And like, I have this play happening in March and like a bunch of them are coming. So I think Mm -hmm. it's like being as authentically you as you possibly can. If you're someone of size with kids makes such a big difference. Um, And I think also showing people like sharing representation that really mattered to you with the kids that you low-key have a feeling would benefit from it like is a sly way to help too or like with music like going out of your way to incorporate artists or who are maybe even less lesser well-known but like artists of size to be like look like this person did it which (laughs) <laughs> I know we shouldn't wade into this discourse. This is a totally separate topic, but it has to do with music. Go for it. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot and then you can put me on the spot. Okay. I don't, I don't listen to music, so this is going to be. No, but you know, you'll no, but you'll have, you'll, you'll have an opinion. Okay. Okay. Adele. Okay. <laughs> I actually do love Adele. Um, yeah. Right. Wait, what, what specifically is the question? Well, so, <laughs> so I know the album just came out. Yes. But I've been really wrestling with thought policing myself about the situation yeah okay because because i know again talking about like younger me and probably younger you too Mm -hmm. the fact that she was not thin was so great yeah (laughs) and now that she is i'm like cool but it's also really sad for like the inner child Yes, I completely get that. And I don't think you it's know? ever good to thought police, right? Yeah. I it's trick it's tricky. And I think I'm having the same struggle and I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of folks are. And yeah. it to even say that feels scary because people will jump down your throat being like, She just made a totally. change for her health. How dare you? Like <laughs> yeah. her body's not your body. You don't own her. Like, okay, I know, I know, yeah. I know. So like I just yeah. <laughs> I just wanna say before we get into Adele discourse that like this yes, is I this just, is about us. This isn't about Adele. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's also it's also about and this I feel like this is kind of the main thing is that when you are a pop culture figure like that, everyone has their own idea of you in their mind that they have their own specific relationship with. We're not talking about IRL Adele. We're talking about the parasocial relationship we have formed with her idea of exactly, her over the exactly. past ten years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. She's I was just talking to somebody, um, my boyfriend's grandma (laughs) (laughs) 
about how like Adele seems so like refined in her voice and like mysterious, mm-hmm. and then she talks and she's like got a Cockney accent and she's yeah, like yeah, just yeah. like just seems like this girl who like loves to party and like would be a good friend. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? So like I feel like that version of Adele, that like the 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 Adele that speaks, I'm like. Ah, she wouldn't judge fat people. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I mean may or may not be true, but we mm-hmm. don't know. Um, totally. My my parasocial Adele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yes. Um, I do think that Adele is one of many celebrities who have lost weight in an under mysterious circumstances uh-huh, and don't uh-huh. fully come clean about how they yep. did that. Yep. But at the end of the day, I mean it doesn't matter to me. Like, I don't even know Adele. <laughs> no, totally. I think part of why I think about it so much, too, is because sort of what I was saying earlier is, like, I had such an intense parasocial relationship with celebrity women musicians when I was growing up. Um, and it's still something I think about all the time because um, I have this play happening it's like being hosted by Cleveland Public Theater, basically, but it's in March and it's about teenage girls who are baby gays. And a big part of it is about their like imagined futures. Like there are characters that are versions of themselves. There are characters that are what they think they're going to be like when they're 30. Um, yeah. And another feature of it is that there's a lot of like um, monologues about like the importance of given cultural figures like pop girls basically and Adele is one of them and as time has evolved and moved forward I'm like this all this 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 stuff is just her business but also when you're that big of a cultural figure it sets off so much in everyone's minds like you can't help but think about it it's very it's very difficult I mean I will say that I don't think she's done the mm-hmm. most in terms of being like well i did this diet and i worked so mm-hmm. hard like <laughs> like and she has not really moralized about it as much as other celebrities who've lost weight have so i mean i, I respect that uh it's an interesting one celebrity weight loss is, is yes. hard and it's something that like we all should be independently processing if it needs yes. to be processed and there's no shame yes. in that and I don't like the idea of policing people's thoughts and feelings around it because, like, yeah, we don't know the celebrities and we can't control their lives. But, like, for that reason, our feelings about it aren't harming mm-hmm. anyone. Have you gotten yelled at by people that are fat phobic online? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I'm getting that sense. But I'm curious what has happened if you can talk about it. Oh, um, I usually just delete the comment. I mean, usually people are, well, what I talk about usually is fat representation. A video that I did that got a lot of people up in arms was celebrity weight loss, talking about that Mm -hmm. and like how like you might have feelings about it and that's okay. And people really did not like that. Um, I got more comments on that, more negative comments on that video than I usually do. The other one that people got really upset about was when I talked about dating preferences and how, like, sometimes dating preferences are influenced by societal factors because we are all, in fact, to some degree, sponges. Um, people got really upset about that one. Uh, some people. I deleted all those comments. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. I keep the comments up if on somebody who agrees with me, like, goes to bat for me and, like, challenges that and challenges that person. <laughs> Um, but I think people, people say that their freak out is like they're being told to do something they don't want to do. Like whether that is be fat 
or you must be fat now that's <laughs> or what date saying. fat people like they they feel like oh you're taking away my control and i'm like yeah what if this isn't as in your control as you thought yeah. then like you can't deal with that right yeah. so like i feel like the 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 thing is here is that like weight feels like one of the only things a lot of people can control about their like station in life uh-huh. so to have them feel like that's being taken away like i think that's where it comes from a lot that makes sense and it's just like it's like a basic tenet of how they understand the world. So like having that challenge is very difficult. Yeah, definitely. And for me, I had the added benefit when I was first getting into like reading, you know, all these like thinkers mm-hmm. who are like anti fat phobic. Um, th- uh, I was I was like, oh, sick. So like I'm OK. But like when you when you're like, oh, so like all this work I've done to be okay is moot. Fuck that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I think it really challenges people's egos and their worldview. And people love that. It it happens. (laughs) But honestly, some a lot of the times these comments make no sense. They contradict themselves in the comment. Um, And it is a battle for me not to reply to them. Sometimes I try to in like a way that's like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. You know what? Once or twice, people have asked me a genuine question and been like, "Oh, thank you, that was mm-hmm. eye-opening." But you know, most of the time, it's just people who are like bashing their head against a wall, <laughs> and then it's very tempting to fight that with like, with you know, going mm-hmm. for them, like being mean to them, like or being like, "Fuck life. you, you don't yeah. get it." Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's never, that's not wise in this Mm -hmm. situation because then people are just going to have that idea of fat people. Like, that'll just enhance their, like, feelings on it. So, uh, it's it's tough. It's tricky. Totally. Well, it was so cool to talk to you. I have one more question for you, which is, you know, is there anything else that we can do as people, as writers, as Mm -hmm. artists um, to combat fat phobia in the arts? I feel like one of the best things that you can do or we can do, especially as creators, especially as writers, um, is to mm-hmm. make more sweet fat characters who don't need to talk about it. Yeah. Who just are the way they are and are really, really cool. And that if someone's like you're fat they're like yes i am but it's not like a tracy situation or right. you know any of these other like the things the whole story doesn't hinge on yes it. yeah it's just <sighs> a characteristic because i know for me even as a 26 year old 25 year old like really seeing those characters i mean again sponge people it has made a very positive sponge difference people. so and there was also one last thing I wanted to add on, which is really small, which is um, that I, over the past year or so, have started doing these digital illustrations of fantasy fat ladies. They're like elves. I love that. They're really sweet. I'll oh, send them to you. That. I'm really Please. proud of them. Yeah. Oh, we'll um, definitely share those on Instagram. Yes. Yes. I'm very, uh, they make me so happy and they all have like a million chins and that's just who they are and they're sweet so i try to do that for myself too i try to come up with these sick looking people and i'm like they're i would not change a single thing about them because that is what they're like and it makes me happy yeah that's beautiful i love that (laughs) i love that so much and i think that every time i see a fat person in a new context it like opens my mind more 
same and makes me feel like oh wait there's more things i can do like there are things Mm -hmm. that for my whole life i was like i can't be in commercials lately i started seeing fat people in commercials and i was like shit i really want to be in commercials this is (laughs) so exciting so anyway i yeah so now i'm like gonna take a class in it um it's amazing what literally one fat Mm -hmm. body can change in a person's mind and you know then in the world Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to me for so long. Thanks for having (laughs) me. Absolutely. This was so fun. Um, I'm super excited to hopefully one day watch your documentary and see your art and everyone else. Um, You can find all those links in the description. Where can we find you you on social media? Yeah. Okay. So if you're looking for just me as a human being um, on Twitter and Instagram, (laughs) uh, it's just at Hannah Ray Leach. So Hannah with an H at the end, R-A-E-L-E-A-C-H. And then in my bio for on Twitter and Instagram, I have the links to all my other things. So I won't sit here (laughs) and give you like 40,000 links. Um, It's all there. So the prom Queens is my band sleepover cinema is me and my sister's podcast. Um, And you can find everything on my instagram or my website hannahrayleach.com lol (laughs) beautiful yeah amazing well thank you again so much for coming on yes thank you for having me absolutely okay bye bye thank you so much for listening to more than tracy turnblad if you liked it hit subscribe and leave us a review and rating on apple podcasts that would be awesome also follow us on social media Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at more than Tracy T. And just tell your friends. Word of mouth is great too. You can find more information at more than Tracy Turnblad.com.